Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and today is a very sad day indeed. AFLX is no more. The D's will go down in history as one of uh, three and, well, I guess four teams uh, to take out one of those plastic trophies, and Bailey Fritch will be forever remembered as one of the greats of the format and the only two-time AFLX trophy winner. Great Viney is still away for work, so tonight I'm once again joined by a demon blogger, author of The Great Depression, a great follow on Twitter under the handle of at Demon Blog, otherwise known as Super Mercado on Demonland.com. Good evening, Super Mercado. Good evening, Andy, and it is a sad occasion. We, we should have a minute's silence to remember all the fun times that we had watching AFLX. Well, I, I actually uh, did have fun watching it. It uh, brought me closer to my kids who only went there uh, to play in the family area and not watch a second of the game. Um, there you go. So next year they could have AFL family area. <laughs> yeah. And, and you'll get the same result. So what a, what a sad day it is for the millions and billions of international people who were all set to fall in love with the game. Uh, and now I've had that chance cruelly ripped away from them. So I think uh, a minute's silence for them too. be interesting to know how much the AFL actually spent on, um, on the AFLX, whether it's promotion or trying to get into the overseas markets and uh, all of that just to be thrown down. The drain um, and much... Well, I don't think... Do they ever actually try and get into the overseas markets? That's the thing. That It was all this, we're going to take this and we're going to show it to the international people and they're going to think it's awesome. And then did we airdrop DVDs into Bosnia-Herzegovina <laughs> or something? Like, I, I, I fail to see how that actually... That stated goal of creating international buzz actually happened. Uh, and now I notice they're talking about potentially playing it overseas at the end of a season uh, instead of at Docklands at the start of a season, which will be presumably a, an awesome piss-up for any expats in whatever city they play it in, and the in, and the locals will just go, eh, well, like if, most Aussies did. If locals weren't turning up to actual AFL games overseas, I can't imagine they'll turn up to AFLX. Well, you know, it's got it's got super goals. It does. So, you know, <laughs> if anything's going to get the your average man on the street in Shanghai to get involved, it's a, it's a super goal. That it is. Uh, if you'd like to join our program ton- tonight to discuss any of the topics uh, that uh, Super Mercado and I talk about, give us a call 039016366. That's 039016366. We love hearing from other Demon Landers and listeners to the podcast, so give us a call. You can also Skype us at Demonland31. Uh, if you're listening to this show live now, uh, join us in the chat room, demonland.com slash podcast. Uh, you can ask questions. Uh, I'll just post a comment, and uh, if we get a chance to look at it, we'll uh, we'll we'll answer them. Uh, if you're listening to this show later on uh, via SoundCloud on Demonland.com or via the Apple or Android podcasting apps, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and you can receive updates when a new show drops. Uh, leave us a favorable review if you can. Uh, it does help people find us. Uh, we're also on Spotify, so you can get the show that way too. Go to demonland.com to find the links to your preferred method of listening on social media, facebook.com slash demonland31, Twitter at demonland on Instagram at demonland31, or YouTube, just search for demonland podcasts and listen to some of the interviews we've conducted with current and past players and coaches. If you love talking about the D's 24 seven or year round, why not join up to demonland.com and you can chat with other D's fans about this club. And 
that's exactly what we're going to do uh, tonight. Uh, Super Mercado. Wow. Okay. Uh, it wasn't the bloodbath um, that we were expecting. Um, someone on in the Demonland post-match discussion thread said that it was just a standard late-season game between a contender and a team just waiting uh, for it to all be over. And I think, yep. I don't know if I agree or disagree, uh, many of us were expecting carnage, um, and that's probably exactly what a team that's waiting for it to be over would do. And I'm not saying that the team and its supporters aren't waiting for the season from hell to be over, uh, but it wasn't the, you know, stop, he's already dead mauling um, that many were anticipating. I did think Richmond was well down on their on their best uh Dustin Martin excluded, and wouldn't you hate to be the team that had the chance to draft him and let him go? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that I should be happy that we were still in the game at halftime, but there was really this sense that we were just setting the clock and waiting for it to count down on when the when Richmond was just going to run away from us. So it was it was a bit of a false close game at halftime. I thought not that we played awfully. Not that we played well, but not that we played awfully in that first half to the point where I thought Richmond was going to kick away with you know, 20 goals to nil in the second half. But at the same time, it just felt like it would have taken a lot of things to go our way to win that game. And I guess the what the game I was thinking of when I was there was that Essendon game, 2012, the first one we won in a colossal upset after about 10 straight losses, where the score was kept to about, you know, 60 to 55 or something like that. And we, and Essendon botched about five clear goal scoring opportunities and sort of allowed us to get in it. And you know, everything went our way and we got the win. That's the game in my head. I was comparing it to, which is sad to be comparing it to a 0 and 10 or 0 and 11 season uh, game. But I thought that's what we needed to win that game. And, and unfortunately for us, the rain came uh, and no one's worse in the wet than us. And put a put a little bit of water on the ground, and it's it's an absolute shambles. It's like having a Grand Prix in the wet. There's just people spinning off everywhere, uh, and then Richmond just they basically walked on water. Uh, it was like it was completely dry conditions, uh, and whereas we tried to play like it was still completely dry dry conditions, and totally uh, went to water as it were. So, look, it's one of those games where we didn't lose by enough to get angry. And we didn't get close enough that you get emotionally invested and get upset that we had victory snatched out of our hands. So I would personally agree 100% with that post suggesting it was really just a, you know, it's just a maintenance game just to get us to the end of the season with whatever's remaining of our dignity intact, a season where no team has fortunately lost a game by 100 points. And to be honest, we haven't really even gone close since the Geelong game. So there is something to be taken from it. It's funny when they talk about giving Gold Coast priority picks and they've still got a a win and a ton more percentage than we had in 2012. So it's they might be a bad team, but uh, there's certainly been a lot worse teams called Melbourne in the last 10 years. <laughs> um, I didn't think we were terrible in the first half. Uh, some on Demoland were claiming that the Tigers were just in second gear, and I'm not convinced that that's the case because... They're still trying to, you know, maintain a top four spot and perhaps a home final. So they shouldn't be taking any team lightly, uh, despite our relative positions on the ladder. Yeah, look, I, I did feel that they weren't going at full 100%. And I think it was almost, yeah, just waiting for that moment where they were going to put the foot down uh, and knock our block off. So, but I do think we played all right. 
at the same time. But the problem was, I think, just had too many players, just fringe players in, and that's where we're at. The injury list is longer than your arm, so it's always going to happen when, when you're in that situation. But there was too many players who just... I'm not going to say didn't belong out there, but didn't belong out there in such large numbers. You're going to get away with having two or three or four of them in a team, um, but we probably had seven or eight the other day, and you're just not going to beat the best teams like that. So it was really just a case of getting through without being slaughtered, uh, and we hope the same this week, uh, especially given the opposition, and then uh, yeah, get through to the end of the season and uh, let's all forget this ever happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope we can do that. Uh, well, Grapeviney and I have been saying that all year that, um, you know, because of our injury list, um, you know, we we had so many depth play, well, players that are meant to be depth players where if you have one or two of them to plug a hole here or there, it's fine. But when you've got seven, eight, nine of them in the team, you're not going to be able to compete with a team like Richmond um, or, or any team for that matter. Um, and, and our fringe players are almost, they're all probably except for the ex- exclusion of maybe Baker and somebody else. They're not players that we haven't seen before or players mm. that haven't played before. So there's not going to be, there's not this growth in their career that's coming. They're sort of just, we know what we're going to get. Jay Kennedy Harris, I, I thought 50% of his game was really good and 50% of his game was really bad. And that's just comes together to say there's a player who we know he's not going to have a, a, a light year improvement if he stays on the list next year. We just know exactly what we're going to get. And I think that's what you get with all the players of that ilk, even the Corey Wagners, who I thought was actually quite good uh, the other night. But we know the window of where his career is going to yeah. be at, whereas someone like Baker, hopefully in the future, uh, and I thought he had some very encouraging signs, at least we can look forward to an improvement in him. Uh, but at the same time, if we end up next year with with the same thing where we've got six, seven players in the team who have got who have sort of reached the what looks like the end of their development, uh, we're going to be in similar trouble to what we're in now. And that's going to obviously have flow-on effects to the coaching question and, and uh, a lot of other things as well. On, just on JKH, uh, this is arguably his last roll of the dice the, these last couple of games. Um, he was excluded from the team in the last couple of weeks when, um, you know, we were sort of saying, well, let's, you know, give him a go, at least see what he can do, unless uh, maybe the club had already decided his fate. Uh, but he had 20 disposals, 10 kicks, 10 handballs, eight contested possessions. He had 80% disposal efficiency. I think I agree with what you said. I don't think he was sensational, but he wasn't terrible. Um, better than most players have played on the wing this year. Um but yeah, that's look, not saying I, I much on the year we've had. Yeah, you're not going to get that that much improvement and he's not going to raise the standard of the team that much. No. But I actually think that he's probably the kind of player who, if he wants to, will go and you know make good money playing good football in the VFL or interstate or whatever yeah. in the future uh, because he has got the talent. But I just think that his impact and just there was a few sort of blind kicks and things like that, which he's certainly not on his own because that's what no. most of our team do, totally blind kicks, that just said lack of poise, lack of composure. But at the same time, it depends where we go at the end of this year. If there's the the number of players uh, is an excessive amount of players that get delisted, you would say, fair enough, put him there for another year or retired, 
put him there for another year and just tell him, you know, you're going to be parked in the reserves, but if we need you, we'll need you and give him another go because he is at least going to be a solid player if required. But at this stage, you certainly wouldn't have him anywhere near your round one best 22. Uh, he wasn't in our finals team last year, was he? No, no he was no. probably round to about the Geelong game, I would say, yeah. off the top of my head. He was definitely in the team that night. Yeah. He dropped out of the team later in the year. Yeah, I, look, I, I thought in the, just going back to, to the first half, I thought for the most part our ball movement was a little bit better. The skills were a little bit better with the usual howlers. Uh, switching was okay. We seemed to be able to defend, but it's the story of the year that we're just not able to maintain that. And when our intensities and skills and ability to run both ways, they just dropped off. And the Tigers, who are just a well-oiled machine, they don't drop off their intensity, their skills, you know. And then the second half, when the wet weather came, we just lack the footy smarts in those conditions to be able to hang on to a contest. And do, do you think the <laughs> – you talked about the rain and that we can't play in it. And um, do you think that score-wise, do you think that helped or, or hindered us? Did it Did it stop the floodgates from opening up on us? Or did it just expose our poor skills even more? I reckon we probably would have lost by the same margin or a little bit more, but it certainly confirmed that Richmond was going to win the game yeah. when the when it started raining. I, I'm sort of a bit confused about why we went in with the team we did when we knew it was going to rain. Like, fair enough, on Thursday night, Tim Smith goes out. Bruce is literally the last forward option we've got, so we bring him in. But then... Three hours before the game, I'm, I think Neil Bullen was the the carryover emergency, and look, he hasn't had a great season, and, and I certainly was supporting of him being dropped out of the team this week. But it seems to me, you see the radar, and you see, oh, it's going to rain at some point during this game, and then you send Bruce out there, who's dropped every mark under the sun in the last few weeks in dry conditions, and it was just on a hiding to nothing. Uh, it's it's almost like. Uh, just a, you know, we're not going to win, so whatever. Just send the normal team out. So I thought that was a really strange not to make that change uh, and take him out. And I must say, even when it was dry, he was very poor again uh, around the ball. Can tap a ball in a rut contest, but uh, his marks were terrible and he was did nothing at ground level. I, I fail to understand why we would have put him into that team knowing what was going to come at some point during that game that it was going to rain. Well, are you still there, Supercarder? Yes. Okay, sorry, I thought I lost you for a sec. Uh, the, well, I'll just quickly go uh, while you're talking about Bruce. Um, is is the dual uh, Bruce Gorn ruck experiment over? Um, it's wounded, that's for sure. <laughs> it's certainly taken a battering in the last couple of weeks because. You've got to get some support for Gorn because we can't just play him into the ground, run him into the ground 99% of the ruck every game, every week, and expect him to go on for five, six, seven, eight more years in his career. But at the same time, the other person has to be able to do something else other than ruck. So the question is, with with T-Mac, with Weed, in, with, with, a, with a full, full backline, full forward line in, Bruce doesn't get a game. We go no. the we go the you know Weedman in the ruck or Tim Smith in the ruck relieving. Um, I think so. And the, 
in the center bounce, I don't think it really matters. Like last year, I saw James Harms take a center bounce, <laughs> yeah, and we kicked a goal out of it. Uh, so I don't. It matters in that if you've got Gorn in there, he might do some fancy backwards tap, or he might rove his own ball, which he often does. But if you're not going to have Gorn, I, I really don't think it matters in the center. Where I think it matters more is around the ball, uh, in the in boundary throw-ins or in the forward 50 or ball ups in the forward 50 or defensive 50. There was one earlier this year, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a throw in from the boundary line and Wiedemann was playing in on the ball. He was playing as the Ruckman and he just had no idea what he was doing and he got totally taken out of position and the other side kicked a goal. So anyone can take a centre bounce and just jump at a ball and try and hit it with their hand. It's the craft around the ground that's important. So the dream would be, obviously to get somebody who can kick goals, but also learns to do that stuff as well, which is where I think the the field opens for someone like Wiedemann to, to go to school a bit as a Ruckman. Because I, I was really dying for Bruce to get a game, but it's just impossible to justify his position based on the last few weeks. And, and again, like we said last week, I don't understand why he played as a Ruckman against Sandringham when they had no Ruckman in their team. And the season was pretty much already shot. Why they didn't play him as a forward and try and get him down there and get him to take a few marks and get some confidence? Because we threw him back into an AFL game where we put him to full forward, and he had absolutely no confidence as a forward. So, what was the point? Why even bother picking him in the first place? It was just picking someone just because they were tall. Effectively, you may as well have picked Austin Bradkey. Yeah. If you just wanted someone who was tall and you didn't have any confidence that they were actually going to deliver the goods and no offense to Austin, but he's obviously at the start of his uh, development journey. Uh, it's yeah. It just made no sense to me to, to, I won't say to pick him because I understood the logic of one tall forward out, no other people who could potentially play tall forward left, but I really don't understand when it was clear that it was going to rain that night, why they didn't make a change to put him back and to take him out of the side. I wonder what we do with him for the rest of the year. Uh, Cox is out um, this week, so they've only got the, um, you know, Grundy in there. Um, do they, or just for the remaining three games, do they just play him to give him that uh, ruck experience in the ones, or, or do you think they're going to drop him? I think you, you can't, not reward, but you mm. can't just gloss over yeah. a performance like that. Just because, just because you need someone to play in that position, uh, and I agree that it would be in the ideal world having two ruckmen to go up against Grundy and then one who can go forward and kick a goal as well would be great. But given that the game means nothing, uh, I would like to see us potentially look at a different option. And again, I, I Smith, uh, I'm not sure if he's back this week or not. Unluckiest player in the AFL, that kind. Correct. In terms of if he is back, he'll be out again <laughs> next week. Uh, I would rather that. I'd rather take Harrison Petty to ruck school for you know a crash course yeah. during the week and give him a go doing it because we know he can certainly jump because he takes a very good contested mark and give that a go instead. I, I want to believe in Bruce, yeah, but the exposed form of the last yeah. few weeks is very very concerning, especially if, as rumoured, he's on a multi-year contract and it certainly would be at least a two-year contract but uh, potentially more than that, we might have been uh, ransacked by uh, his management in this case. 
Yeah, it's 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 very disappointing. I was very bullish on him, particularly early in the year, to get him in the team, and I couldn't understand, uh, you know, why they weren't giving him a game. Um, now I'm starting to understand maybe why. Yeah, but, <laughs> but we need, we needed to we, yeah. try. Yeah, yes, yeah, we hundred percent. The annoying thing was like we needed to give it a go and see if it was going to work because at least now we hit the end of the year knowing probably that is not going to be a good forward option. But if Gorn, God forbid, something happens to him, he might be a, a useful ruck option. Mm. He might step into that role really well, but he's not going to be the forward option we need. So it gives them the chance to sit down and say, okay, are we going with McDonald and Wiedemann and then we build around that? Or do we need that third ruckman or do we need that third tall forward that's also a ruckman? Oh, I would say no. I would rather, yeah, like I said, send Wiedemann to ruck school and make sure that he can not only jump at a centre bounce, which again, like I said, it's it's not that's not the difficult part. It's the when you go onto the ball around the ground, that's the difficult part. And I would rather see him learn to do that and add another string to his bow than try and force the the three tall the three tall forwards when one of them isn't isn't can't mark a ball almost. Yeah. And certainly in the wet, he's not going to help. And uh, yeah. uh, look, I, I mean, I actually think he, he had less chance. Fortunately for him, he had less opportunities in the wet than he did in the dry. Because yeah. there was one where it was bombed inside 50 and it was coming right down on his head in the wet, like the pouring rain in the third quarter. And I sort of involuntarily yelped <laughs> when I saw what was coming because it was like watching a you know a car skidding out of the way. But he actually did quite well to to bring it to ground and get out of it. But I was like, oh, God, if this is an uncontested mark, I, I know he's going to drop this. So, look, backup option, but we have had no sign in the last few weeks that, that he's going to be a, a forward that can kick us a decent amount of goals, the kind of goals we need uh, in next year. So, you know, there's still time to grow. He's still young. I think he's about the age Gorn was when Gorn began to really take the take the great leap forward so i'm not writing him off but at the same time i am concerned if that's the idea for him to be one of our forwards yeah i agree um the the wet um we, we, we were trying to pick up the ball and we either failed to do so or then just failed to boot it to advantage whereas the Tigers played the wet game really well and kicked the ball off the ground to get the ball forward. Uh, their mosquito fleet certainly weren't hampered by the condition. And in that third quarter, when the rain came down, it was five goals to one, I believe. Yes. And obviously that's, uh, that's game game over. We were never going to come back uh, from there. Um, uh, I'm not sure how much stock you put in this stat, uh, but both captains, Viney and Jones, laid zero tackles for the night. Is, is that a concern? Oh, I think so. You have to take them all. You have to sit down and watch their games uh, individually. But we had, I think, eight players who didn't have a tackle. Yep. Which is bizarre considering there was a whole quarter of that game that was played in slog. So I'm not singling them out necessarily amongst them, either of them. But I, I did the stats for my blog. And I think for the first six weeks of the season, for instance, we had two players in those six games that didn't have a tackle in a game. And then round... 20 with one quarter of the game played in the wet we had eight players who had no tackles so I don't know if that's more telling on a wider level but yeah it's a surprise to see Viney get none because there have been times where he's had 
14, 15 tackles in a game. So I don't know if we're being used as the, the Steve Hocking guinea pig for the reduction of tackling in footy, uh, but he would have loved us the other night because it was really played uh, with, with not a skerrick of pressure this game, which is probably the only thing that really disappointed me about it because otherwise I'm very accepting of, of what happened. It's that I'd just love to see us go out there and try and rip a team apart. Even if we haven't got the skills, uh, try and hit them hard. Of course, we're getting to the point of the season where we don't want people to get suspended because it will carry over into the next season. This means you, Stephen May, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, after a whole year where literally May is the only person who's been suspended for the whole season, uh, when we probably could have used a bit of grunt in the middle of the year, no doubt someone will do something outrageous either in the next few weeks and miss round one next year as well. But even just the legal stuff, I would just love to see some some niggles, some you know, some bumps, stuff like that. It just seems that we were just merrily going to our death at the moment and everyone is just sort of content to get through to the end of the year, fans and players alike and coaches alike. There's a good uh, good post put up on Demonland today uh, by poster FR underscore AP Frap, uh, the statistical tale of 2019. And he had something about the tackles from this week in particular. He said against Richmond, 14 players had less than one tackle. Uh, this was widely discussed. However, it wasn't from lack of effort. We had more tackle attempts than Richmond, but went at 25% efficiency. You know, he's a poor technique, not strong enough, lazy, mentally checked out. Who knows? Um, yeah. That's what he says. Um, good, good to hear the attempted tackles come back. The last person I heard to raise the attempted tackles was Mark Neal when we lost a Gold Coast by about 10 goals. <laughs> well, we, we were very good on the attempted tackles. Well, it's not a good stat, so perhaps I've got to get someone in there and uh, practice some tackling in the in the off-season. Well, and it also doesn't help when the other side is just pinging it from one end to the other, untouched. The, the less stoppages you have and the less times the ball's in dispute, the less tackles you're going to have, which is, which is where the AFL wants to go, obviously. And we were quite happy to do that by having no forward pressure and allowing the ball just to go bing to the other end of the ground. Uh, without being touched by an opposition player. So it's no wonder that players don't get tackles when they don't get the opportunity to lay a tackle. Yeah. I I thought the Tigers played the possession game so much better than us. Watching them chip it around with precision just highlighted to me, you know, that our own chaos game just isn't working for us, but also how large the gulf is in skills between the two teams. Um, I thought there was glimpses of a bit more of possession slash, you know, that patient tempo game at some stages in the first half, but it's all a bit manic because we don't know when to go fast or when to go slow, and we just seem to change gears at exactly the wrong time. Um, I think there's major issues with decision-making and then the execution um, that has a lot to do with, you know, probably the confidence of the team being completely shot. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, again, just people just trying to play it almost play it safe towards the end of the year. But by playing it safe, it's it's actually a bad thing because it's just like just get the ball as far away from me as possible and let someone else work it out. So and I can't say that that frap post was great. I love I love the advanced stats stuff that you don't generally get from the AFL because they AFL and champion data keep everything so locked away so they can get paid to use it. And there's a great post, and I'd love to see more of these advanced stats. Considering at the moment we can't even get disposal efficiency split into kick and handball uh, on the AFL stats, which is just baffling because it makes it doesn't give you any part of the picture when you just see disposal efficiency. And the guy could have had 
you know, 10 handballs that were one metre handballs and then 10 kicks that he turned over and you get 50% out of that. So, yeah, it was absolutely a great post. Yeah, we might read through a couple of those uh, a bit uh, a bit later on. Uh, well, but we'll keep, keep talking about this particular game. Have your thoughts uh, on Jones continuing next year changed at all based on this game? No, but I still think one year is enough. Yeah, I think there's one year in him, and if they put triggers and stuff like that in there so that he could go could get the next year, I think that's fair enough. Uh, I think that my pretty concern is that if they're trying to, if you believe this story, and as we discussed last week, you can't believe anything that's strategically dropped just as fans are getting upset and are going to crack the sads. But if it is about money, I just can't believe that our salary cap is so cropped that we'd have to really try and go cheap unless we're either trying to encourage him to, to hit the road or if we've just blown our cap to shreds and we we can't afford to give him what he wants and we're going to have to almost fire sale out the um, you know most popular player of the era which would be just absolutely ridiculous but i think as long as jones is, is understanding of where he's at and that potentially he he might not be in the best 22 by the last round of next year i think there's there's definitely a year left in him look at that pass to fritch in the first quarter that was uh, beautiful, and that's why I, I've been dying for him to play more up the ground. I think that it's it seems to be like the retirement spot, putting Vince and then Lewis and then Jones into this defensive spot. spot. And I don't think it's it's really what he's best suited to. I, I think he would actually be quite a good uh, sort of half forward. Um, and I think we, we lost out not trying that when Melchon was out. And I don't know if it's going to work now that Melchon's back, but I think that would definitely be an option because uh, I think he has shown that he can kick a goal and he can set up a goal. And as I said, that fridge kick was absolutely beautiful. Uh, if we could see more of that, I think there would be a lot more people clamouring to get him another contract. Well, I was a few years ago uh, sort of screaming for um, for Vince to be put into the forward line um, as, a for- as a forward, as a half-forward um but they were sort of persisting with playing that, um, you know, the uh, Luke Hodge sort of role across half back, and that sort of seems to be the popular position. Um, now, speaking of Fritch, is there any doubt now that uh, Fritch is a forward? Um, for the life of me, I don't know why they persisted with him in defence. I think it was probably out of need with Lever out last year. And I get that his disposal is great and they want that coming out of defence, but I, I think it it proved that he has proved that the forward position, particularly in a year where all our forwards have struggled to impact yep. the scoreboard, um, he is a forward. Uh, yeah. I think he had 10 marks, and as a medium-sized forward, that's mammoth. I, I would agree with that. And I think last year he was reasonably good in that defence, sort of wing defence role. But this year it hasn't really worked. And I, one of the stats in that post was about that he's actually cost us the most points from turnovers yeah. this year. So... I think that what he's shown in the last few weeks, especially in a season where we've struggled to kick goals, we, he's, he's someone who can get goals, and that's invaluable. It's funny that at the same time he started kicking them, Hunt has stopped kicking them. So I'm not sure if that sort of Fritch pushes Hunt out. I noticed Hunt was doing a lot of more in defence last week. So I'm wondering if they sort of are going to switch those two back again and put them the other way in the future. But I think, yeah, there's no doubt that Fritsch has got natural talents as a forward. 
and the way our forward line's gone, and especially considering Hannon has had such an interrupted year and came back and didn't really show anything, I think Fritch jumps ahead of him definitely. And we're gonna have we're gonna have holes in that forward line that we need to fill as well. You got Melksham, obviously will be there round one next year. We've still got to address the the forward pressure. And I'm I'm hoping that we can find a, a small forward who's got that ability to put on the pressure and to contribute to the pressure because we really need to keep start locking the ball down there instead of it flinging from one end to the other. Um, but I think yeah, Fritch has definitely got to be a forward to the start of next year. Um, speaking of impacting the scoreboard, I was impressed with Dunkley's set shot ability. Um, yes, two, two absolutely perfectly yep. taken set shots. I think Dunkley, once he learns to get the ball, he'll be good. Like, and it's not to say he's not hasn't been impressive this week because I thought he thought he was very good in this game. But he's one of those players who, when they get the ball, they seem to know what to do with it. But at this stage of his career, given that he was playing under 18s about six weeks ago. He just needs to learn to, to get the ball and, and to get into the game more. So I've got quite good hopes for him next year. Yeah, and with a full preseason under his belt as well with an AFL team. Um, you know, exactly. Yeah. Sky's there's, no doubt he, there's no doubt in the world he'll get another contract for next year. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, I was impressed with Petty's marking, uh, not so much in his set shot ability. Uh, sort of had the accuracy of a stormtrooper. And I appreciate that he is a backman who, out of necessity, has had to swing forward in the absence of T-Mac and Weed. Um, and he's certainly been more effective in the forward line than Weed this year, but uh, he really needs to work on those set shots. Um, yeah, the, the marks are great, though. Yeah, took like, it that, in the That's what we've really well. lacked this year. Someone who runs at the ball and takes a contested mark in the forward line. So I'm not sure where that goes next year uh, with McDonald and Weedman. Unless he goes to ruck school instead and you play with those three uh, instead. But it would be a shame to lose the contested marking. But the contested marking's nothing if the kicking's not there as well. Mm. So definitely something. To, it's good to have those uh, players that you can use in multiple positions to give us the option of throwing things around during games if we need it. And, and particularly, you know, he missed... Some set shots that were relatively easy. Um, the Tiger players were nailing them from all angles, yes. uh, so it really costs you when easier shots are, yeah. are missed. And that's the thing they were getting. They got two two goals from hard on the boundary, yeah. practically Range. fifty yeah. meters out. They got one from a, a barrel from fifty meters out in pouring rain, and they got one where the guy spotted a short throw <sighs> in and toe poked it through there's four goals. And it's not to say we would have got four goals closer if any of those hadn't been kicked because I think Richmond still had more than enough to to fix us up. But they're the kind of goals that you need to get. Like good te- you, good teams need to get that. You can't rely on set shots. And I feel this year, and I would love to see if Frapp is, is listening, uh, if anywhere in the champion data there is a comparison of how many opportunities via the set shot we've had versus anyone everyone else or percentage of scoring opportunities via the set shot because it seems we're really relying heavily on that this year rather than making goals out of nowhere which is what I think like good teams have to do he must have that type of statistic because he did talk about some of the accuracy of some of our players um, and where they were accurate from and uh, where they've missed from. Um, that You were talking about that short uh, throw-in that resulted in the Tigers' goal. Um, you know, why can't the boundary throw-ins be recalled 
uh, if they can recall the centre bounces, which I think they've sort of eased up on actually recalling them because some of them they just let go. Um, but surely those type of throw-ins should be recalled if it's... If you're going to do the centre ones, you should do those ones. Personally, I would do none of them. I'd just let it go. Yeah. And, and just whatever happens, happens. Probably I would throw the ball up all the time in the middle anyway instead of bouncing it. Uh, but, yes, if you are going to do one, you may as well do the other. But I guess it's how do you judge? How do you judge, you know, did the, did the players, if the players both run to it, what is a, you know, what's a bad throw-in? And it's funny, it's Bruce has come a long way since that goal he got against Sydney earlier in the year where he took advantage of exactly the same situation, grabbed the ball and snapped an absolute corker from the pocket. And now here we are, sort of four months later, and he's on the end of it. And and at that time we were thinking, whoa, this guy's this guy's going to kick us some goals. And now, unfortunately, four months later, we're saying, well, this guy's not going to kick us goals, and he's the one <laughs> copying those surprise uh, throw-in goals. Well, that, not that, scoring them. that was that throw-in was significantly short. I don't think any ruckman. Uh, I think Max would have been in the same um, situation. I don't think there was. It would have been anything that Max would have done differently at drop forward, and the Richmond guy was just a little bit quicker. And yeah, it's, get it's, a shame. it's a shame you can't. Someone else could just jump on it when it landed on the ground. Yeah. And no one was expecting it. You're not sort of no. <laughs> expecting that. Um, and it was a good, it was very smart by the, the Richmond player. And again, that's the kind of goal out of nowhere that is just so important. And we do do it sometimes. Look at the, the Lewis one where he sort of worked himself to the line and did the half low-speed bicycle kick, the Jacko tribute. Uh, that was a goal out of nowhere. So it does happen to us, but at the same time, it just doesn't happen often enough. How far was your heart in your throat when Lever hobbled off the, the ground? I was kind of just like, this just would be so typical. And and it, I just didn't even think that it could be... I thought it could be a, a long-term thing, but at the same time, I was like, so this is just so typical of our season that I was almost laughing about it. And so fortunately... The, the laughter can continue because he only rolled his ankle rather than doing anything terrible. But at the time, it was just like, what else can go wrong? Even when we're having a bruise-free run to the end of the year where no one's laying a tackle, we've still got players getting injured. Because it looked like, it sort of looked like that, what happened last time, um, so, you know, innocuous uh, type of thing. Didn't look bad. It looked uh, a bit lower, more lower leggy, and I know it's easy to say that in hindsight when we know it was, but it, it had more. I don't know. It had more ankle limp than than straight leg knee limp. Yeah, like, I just like you had last time. I was just quickly saw a replay on the on the screen, so I just in my head it was oh, no, ACL. You know, yeah, he's not. Just, he's going to miss now. Going to miss be. the whole whole of next year. And uh, just thinking about Demon Lamb melting down oh. in, in terms of the two pick, two first round picks, and all that. Uh, you know, we later learned advertising budget shooting shooting up to you know the the GDP of a small country <laughs> from so many people logging on at the same time. You know, we later learned that it was his ankle, and and like we do with all injuries that occurred mid mid game, he comes straight back on the ground. Yes, <laughs> because we, there was so much to lose in that game. You know, if our percentage goes any lower. Well, we won't move anywhere on the ladder. 
you know, you, you can almost write the script to how, how this is going to go down now. Um, uh, Demon Land post uh, D-Man um, uh, has said, um, you know, uh, what he wrote, he goes, so Jake Lever left the ground injured but came back on. It was apparently a rolled ankle and not what we thought. However, in tradition of the club's handling of injuries, injured players expect no mention in the club injury report on Tuesday night of Jake Lever, but he actually was. He'd been listed at a as a as a test but uh, and then number two an article on the club's website thursday afternoon entitled lever ruled out uh, for 2019 with a toe injury <laughs> yep yeah amputate an amputation <laughs> i was expecting stephen may somewhere in the ground to lean forward and see what was happening and fall off his seat as well and break his leg or something like that that's the that's the thing about these games at the end of the season it's now it's like don't anyone get suspended don't anyone get injured oh, i remember that last round that we played against North in, I'll say, 2014. Uh, it was Frawley's last game. It was the night that McDonald got those two quick goals, the first two goals he ever got. Gorn did pretty much the same thing as Lever did the other night, and I did think he'd done his knee. And it was when he was starting to come good, might have been 2015, whenever it was, mm-hmm. he was starting to come good, and it was like, you are kidding me. Like, you can't. We cannot take a break. Unfortunately, he got away with it. But that's where you you come in these last few day, few weeks of the season, where it's like, can anyone who gets injured just keep it to about with the equivalent of a six to eight week injury at the absolute maximum, and still get back for preseason? And then I think we'll be fine for next year. Just as an aside about the Demonland uh, injury list uh, twenty nineteen thread, um, it's. This year, it's 53 pages long with just over 1,300 posts. And the corresponding 2018 injury thread was only 24 pages and 584 posts. So 2019 has had 30 more pages and 720 more posts uh, with three games in hand. And obviously, 2018 will have three less games. Um, yeah. So 2019... There's still room for more. <laughs> yeah. Still room to break the internet. Still room for more with less games in the year to go. Just unbelievable. Yeah. So. It's, yeah it, it's funny. I remember way back after the prelim in the off-season, someone on Twitter and it said, the only way we can go down next year is if we have a 1995-style run of injuries. And it's exactly what's happened. Everyone has just dropped like flies. Um, Oscar McDonald certainly is no Stephen May. Um I would have liked to have seen Maisie play against the Rewalt-Lynch combination. Obviously, it wasn't to be. Good to see um, one person who left Gold Coast was able to play. <laughs> We've got two and neither of them could. Um, just uh, la- lastly, my notes is just on the umpiring that I thought in the first half it was p- subpar, particularly <laughs> for in terms of us. Um, I thought that Tigers players were able to dispose of the ball any which way um, and not so us and yeah there were a few dropping the ball decisions paid against us that were there but um, I don't think the Tigers were treated in the same way um, you know we were just on the wrong side of those marginal calls we got a freebie at the end we got a yeah. charity one right at the end when uh, Petty got lightly jostled and went down as if he'd been uh, assassinated so that was good good to get a free goal at the end because we weren't we weren't looking like getting any off our own nah. bat before the end of the game. No. Nah. Um, your your player of the year, Maxi, has he sewn it up yet? Well, almost. I, I had him as best on ground. I had him and Fridge 
well ahead of everyone else. I did have Oliver in the bottom of the votes, so it's not completely over, but with 15 points to play for, Max is now out by eight. So we know that it has to be one of those two now because Harms is in third on 41, so he's 18 behind Gorn. So unless about 12 teams get uh, kicked out for violations and we play extra finals games, there's only 15 votes left. So you'd think Max has got it sewn up now, but Oliver's the kind of guy who can pick up those amazing games and grab five votes uh, quickly. So you never know, but I think Max should have it from here. I saw Max last week at a um, at a, at a player sponsors function, and uh, I told him that um, that he's got the uh, BNF uh, sewn up, and he wasn't too sure. He said because he wasn't on the um, the brochure for the for the night that he doesn't think uh, he'll win it. Well, I guess the, the the thing about the BNF is that playing a lot of games is the the key to winning it. If you don't, you could play 10 great games, but you're still not going to win it. It's rewards the players who have played for the whole season. So you got Oliver, you got Gorn, you got Harms. All those guys have played all of the season. So it, it might not go to Max because weird things happen in Best and Ferris because they're looking at it differently to the yeah. rest of us. But I think that in recognition of the, the way he's carried this team, uh, I think that he would be a very worthy winner of it. I don't think Oliver has been as good as he has the last two years this year, but he, I could still see him winning it as well. So I guess Max also had those had the first week of the season, certainly where he was down and then he's missed a game. And I would like to think that he's still going to win it because I think he would definitely be a very deserving winner considering the season he's had. Uh, yes, he was. Um, uh... And hopefully he gets the big knockout win on Grundy this week and makes sure he's the number one ruck in the All-Australian team, not the... Not the backup. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's Grundy's got it sewn up because it doesn't matter what happens this week. Uh, Gorney could absolutely towel him. Um, I think he's got it sewn up. Um, not necessarily because I think he's better than uh, better than Gorney. I just think uh, he's the uh, he's the AFL favourite son at the moment. Yeah, and the, <laughs> it's as long as you've got one of the two best ruckmen in the competition, you should be happy that you've got one of the two best ruckmen yeah. in the competition. So if Max gets in and he's on the bench, then I'm, I'm certainly not going to start a picket line. No, no. Oh, he'll be in the team, Maxi. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But I think he's going to get uh, second fiddle uh, this year. Um, just uh, on this, uh, well, I think with this thread, uh, the stats thread, the the you know, there's been a lot of discussion about injuries uh, to to Richmond and Collingwood and their fans complaining that they have it the worst of all. Um, and uh, Frapp has uh, said that uh, the data says that uh, we have averaged uh, 6.5 best 22 players missing over the first 19 rounds of the season. And in total, we've missed uh, 117 best 22 games. Uh, Richmond um, have a total of 71 games and... Uh, Collingwood, um, oh no, Rich, uh, Richmond have 92 games, sorry, uh, in total, and Collingwood 71. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll look, I think there is, there is an, an injuries argument. Uh, I think we've had a good enough team long enough that we probably should have done better, but at the same time, we have gone close so many times this year that we're not a finals team, but we could have been a 
12th place team or an 11th place team. Like it, it needn't look so grim as it does now. I think we're probably the, the one of the better 17th place teams you're ever going to see. But at the same time, we're still a 17th place team because we can't win games. So there's plenty to look forward to at the start of next year, but I think we'll all go into it worried about which way it's going to go. It's not an instant return where you say, bang, we're going to be straight back into contention. We could very well be, but I certainly will go in with, uh, you know, covering my eyes and uh, hoping for the best because I'm not 100% convinced we're going to bounce back, but I'm hoping we will. Uh, just part of these stats, James Harms is the only player at the D's ranked in the top 50. He's 49th for average handballs received per game, uh, which is an indicator of outside run. Um, we're screaming for some outside run. Uh, for context, Richmond have six players in the top 50 and Collingwood have eight. So yep. when you're comparing us uh, to them... Uh, it's, it's, like, the, the cult of contested ball has been so overplayed with us and we all, we all fell into it last year because we, you know, things look good. So it was like, yeah, they, this must be the, the way to go. But the, the lack of outside run is so stark in this team that it's just ridiculous that, that Baker, looking at him running up and down that wing the other night, it was almost like, this is awesome because it was a guy who could run quickly down the wing. It didn't matter what he did. Yeah. I just wanted to see someone with some pace on the outside. And I thought he had an all right game, but imagine throwing a superstar into that position, it would just be, it'd be unbelievable. And, and, you know, we've had the opportunity to go at some of these players in the last couple of years and we haven't, or at least we haven't landed them. And now we're sort of left with what is on paper, a good best 22 defense on paper, an average to ordinary best 22 attack. And on paper, a good center bounce midfield but it just seems like the wings are just completely neglected. We should be lobbying for a 16-a-side competition. <laughs> um, I sort of implore anyone who's listening to this podcast, get to dmland.com and check out that uh, the statistical tale of 2019. It highlights uh, quite a lot. You know, it's, it's actually it's a bit upsetting sort of reading that when you, that he sort of breaks down a bit who, uh, just talking about our forward line and uh, who Tommy Mack and Wiedemann have been playing on. Um, in the games where they've played well and who they've been playing on when they haven't been playing well. And it sort of paints a, 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 a sad picture of our forward line as well. So perhaps yeah. we're screaming for another quality forward and perhaps we may regret the loss of Hogan if we played I, I, I think 22 it's, games. A, it's more about the mix than anything else. Yeah. Like as long as, you, as long as you've got your tall forwards contesting, they're not going to mark absolutely everything but we've just got nothing at ground level. It's just that three of them will jump for the one ball and the ball will just go ping down the other end. We need structure and we need forward pressure. We need forward pressure players in that forward line, which I really hope that they can address next year. I don't know who. I'm not an expert enough on the 17 other lists to know if there's players out there that are a chance uh, or or VFL prospects, something like that, who can step in to right, right off the bat. But... If we don't get some forward pressure into that lineup next year and still keep just bombing the ball in aimlessly and watching it go flying back the other way, of course the back line's going to get smashed. Of course the midfielders aren't going to lay tackles because we don't, we're not giving them the opportunity to. So I think that that's a massive 
um, thing for the recruiting department and the football department in the off season to address that. Yeah, we won't, probably won't go into uh, talking about uh, players that we could potentially target. I think maybe we'll talk about that at the end of the year or you know when it comes to trade week and um, things start hotting up. Um, but we've got our name into a few uh, players that are out there at the moment. But, uh, yeah, we don't know whether that's just... Um, you don't know who's uh, leaking those stories, exactly. management or, or the like. Um, the big they can all aspire to careers at Melbourne, like the likes of imports like Chris Dawes and <laughs> Viv Michi and Harley Ballage and <laughs> these other players who we got from other clubs and uh, proceeded to squash flat. Uh, the other news story this week, uh, Brendan McCartney is leaving at season end. Um, not such a surprise, or sort of, sort of, we've seen the writing on the wall there. I think once he got put on the special projects mm. midway through the season, that was a, a fair indication that uh, he was going to leave. So, well, I think, you know, I won't say job done because obviously we haven't won anything, but certainly had a, had a good influence there. Uh, for a couple of years and maybe it is new blood is what we need and there's going to be other assistants who are being turned over as well. So um, maybe yeah, maybe it will be a good thing. I, I see that apparently Alan Richardson is being linked with us as well. So you would think that if that happened, he'd be the, the replacement in that sort of more senior mentor role. What are your thoughts on Alan Richardson? Well, I, I thought he was a bit hard done by as a coach, to be honest. So I'm, I'm just on that alone and the reputation that preceded him as an assistant coach, I can't see how it could be a bad thing. So it's good. Uh, it's it's definitely good to get someone like that into the club. Probably puts the pressure a bit on, on Goodwin that you get Brett Ratton style, you get a ready-made replacement uh, who can just step <laughs> in at the drop you. of a hat yeah. if, if it goes wrong. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's a, a really good appointment. Uh, there was talk earlier in the year about Brendan Bolton uh, in the same in the same sort of role. I, I would probably prefer Richardson, uh, but at the same time, if it was Bolton as well, I think he's got you know for, forget the the Carlton thing. Even if you just go back to the Hawthorne, the, his role in the Hawthorne era under Clarkson, I think there's there's something to be had there as well. But either way, I, I think we need that sort of senior mentor who's been there and done it all before um, in the coaching group. Yeah, it'll be interesting. The off-season will certainly be interesting, not just in terms of player personnel that's coming and going, but uh, I think we'll we'll have a couple of new assistants uh, lined up as well, which the new blood uh, certainly be happy with. Um, what, one name I saw uh, thrown around in one of the threads was Adam Uze. I'd love to see him back at the club. Well, again, there's someone who's come out of a successful successful club. It was one of those premierships where Hawthorne, about 90% of their coaching department had played for us at some point or or been with us in Chris Fagan's case. So he's certainly got the, he's got the hometown support, but he's also come out of a really successful club. So I would definitely have him back. Uh, final membership tally was released uh, today. And um, uh, we grew our membership this year. Uh, we had the, the highest growth in membership, uh, 18% on last year. Last year was 44,000 members. We got up to 52,000 uh, this year. 
it's going to be an, an uphill battle trying to Might maintain that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very scared for what it's going to be next year. I, yeah. I assume they got a lot of people this year. Obviously, they got a lot of people on this year based on last year's performance. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there were people who, who couldn't get tickets for finals last year that, uh, you know, thought, well, I want finals tickets this year. Yeah. I'm buying a membership or I'm buying my wife a membership or my... You know, didn't get my son or daughter a membership, whatever. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of those that are not going to re-up next year. And I, yeah. Yeah. I'd hate to think people would jump off after one year. But like it's human would. nature that they will. But give it a give it a second year. If you're new, if you've just come in and bought a membership, you know, give it a second year. And yeah, if you if you want to vote with your feet after that, fair enough. But I think you know we owe it to the club. Who, who is not a financial powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination, we owe it to the club to at least give them another year. Um, you know, if you're spending whatever the, the base price for a 11-game membership or even a three-game membership is, how many, however many wacky category memberships get counted in this total, I think you definitely owe the club one more year of, I won't say confidence, but one more year of support before you pull the pin again. Oh, look, the people like you, you and I and members of Demonland and other other social media groups, the, the hardcores, they're, they're not going anywhere. It's the it's those people that were asking for uh, barcodes last year that thought they didn't want to miss out this year. Whether they re-up or not, that's another question. Yeah, well, I hope we make the grand final and they all miss out. <laughs> yes. I <laughs> hope so uh, we make the grand final. Oh, I, I just thought w- it was interesting on Footy Classified – in, in the big spray at Melbourne by Caroline Wilson, who's still upset that we didn't get bombed at the tanking inquiry like she was cheerleading for. Uh, she talked about how it was a failure that we didn't get the 60,000 members that Gary Pert was talking about before the start of the season. Uh, and then the numbers come out and we actually had the biggest jump of any team in the competition. So I'm not entirely sure how that can be spun into being a bad thing. Uh, obviously, we would have preferred to get 60,000 members and... We probably would have got a few thousand more. We probably wouldn't have got to 60, but we probably would have got a few thousand more if we'd performed better during the year. Yeah. But it's still a fantastic jump, and it's still going to put much-needed money into the the club's uh, coffers. So how about we just just hold on to next year when it goes down by 18% before before laying the boots in? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it does go down to. I'm sure if we had won a few more early on, we probably would have had at least yeah. three to 5,000 more. Um, but maybe that's uh, being optimistic. But I'm just looking at the list again, and I, I, I did make a mistake. The biggest jump was the 19.3% by the Giants uh, from 24,000 to 30,000. But I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of uh, giveaway um, ones there. Yeah, whereas the Gold Coast Suns are, are keeping keeping it real by just coming out with a crap total. They're not just giving them away to all and say, or maybe they are, <laughs> and they've still got a crap total. I'm telling you, I was on the Gold Coast uh, uh, during the school holidays, and there was a game on the Gold Coast, and you would not have known there was a game on the Gold Coast. Um, they just there's no there's no marketing or no anything buzz. around uh, you wouldn't even know that a team up on the gold coast well they wouldn't even have their own media market or anything would they it'd all become it'd all just be the brisbane media market as well yeah. so no wonder they get lost in the shuffle it's not like you have you know i'm not saying put a team in canberra but if you had a team in canberra the people there would be watching canberra dedicated tv shows that 
I know there'd be Gold Coast papers, but they'd be reading Canberra dedicated papers, whereas this one is just kind of yeah, lost in the shuffle of, of Queensland. And especially in a season like this, where after 10 years, Brisbane have finally come good and come good to a spectacular fashion that, yeah, it's no wonder that the Gold Coast gets forgotten about. Yeah, they, Brisbane, that's just, <laughs> that makes me... Yeah. Makes How me, rude will it be yeah. if it goes, there's four years and there's like fairy tale flag, fairy tale flag, yeah. we lose a prelim, fairy yeah. tale flag. <laughs> yeah, it's a possibility. St Kilda will probably come back and win one next year. Yeah, or, or God forbid, uh, Carlton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't take St Kilda. I just cannot take... If St Kilda wins a flag, and this is not against anything against St Kilda, it's more just what it says about us. We'll just be, we'll be all alone. It'll be us and like... Fremantle fans in the the football hall of misery. The long suffering from nineteen ninety five Fremantle. Exactly. Fans. So yeah, we'll just be all alone with there'll be happy Bulldogs fans, happy Sydney fans, technically happy Fitzroy fans. And we don't want happy St Kilda fans as well. No, definitely not. Um, I didn't see any of the uh, Casey game this week. Didn't look like a good result for us. Um, no, I think they only had nine that, AFL listed players yeah, in the team, so I'm not surprised. That's correct. And just looking at the stats, there's there's nothing that's jumping out at me uh, for any uh, any recalls, except for sorry, uh, Marty Hall, uh, thirty yep. kicks. But he, uh, I don't know why he didn't yeah. play anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. the moment Jetta went out, he was at his best this year. Hall, when he was effectively playing yep. the Jetta role, exactly. So I, yeah, it's bizarre why they didn't pick him in the first place. And I didn't really even think about it until Saturday night. Like Thursday night, the team came out and I was like, eh. And then I'm sitting there Saturday night going, why didn't we pick Marty Hall? Uh, because, like I said, I think this year he went down a bit when Jetta came back because he was playing that that role. And then Jetta goes out for the rest of the season and we, we leave Hall in the two. So I think he's an absolute certainty this week. I mean, it doesn't really work as a, a like-for-like to bring Hall and May both back in. But who cares? Pick them both and just see what happens well, it's likely Lever will go out. He's listed as a test, but um, yeah. Well, in that case, it's a lot more, a lot more obvious. But any danger we could actually get a first choice back line on the ground for more than one game? Well, we don't have a forward line at the moment, and uh, no. our back well, line all year no has been sort of injury riddled, one in, one out, one in, one out. I um, thought Hibbard was very good. I thought that was his best yeah. game. Yeah, he's had a year. he's had a pretty down year this year, yeah. Hibbert, in terms of uh, the last couple of years uh, for us. So, um... no, I thought I thought he had a really good game, relatively speaking, the other night. So that was positive. And yes, Hoare, Hoare and May for me, absolute certainties in this team. And McDonald, unfortunately, an absolute certainty to go out. And then just who who the other person is is as we discussed. If do they stick with Bruce and just hope for the best, or do they take him out as well? Someone said, would you try uh, OMAC uh, as a forward or not even go down that? Apparently he played his um, apparently he played his juniors uh, as a forward. I don't if know how successful. If it wasn't Petty, yeah. I almost would just for, just for the, the Hail Mary. <laughs> well, I'm just but looking. I think at this stage, yeah. it, there's more in the tank for Petty to keep playing down there for another three weeks. And to to work on as a forward, so that he's a good option to do that next year. Then McDonald, who it could work, you never know. But at the same time, I can't see it happening. I just don't think he's got the he's got the the body, the presence to 
to um, make a difference in the forward line. But who knows? That's probably what I would have said about Tom, you know, all those years ago. And he, he went down and kicked a couple of goals and he's, he's done quite well from there. Uh, George on the outer in the uh, chat room has said of all of our injuries, he's only counted three soft tissue injuries for the season. All of it, all, all the injuries have been collisions or breaks. Good news for Dave Misson. <laughs> He'll be pumping the air. <laughs> and and I'll get stuffed. I'm looking at the injury list and I'm not seeing um, Tim Smith's name on the injury list. Um, obviously missed miss the game, but usually they put them on yeah, if they miss the game to say test. Like He's not on there. So I'm not sure if that's an omission by AFL.com. Uh, I, Maybe they just didn't have enough space. Unless they, because Melbourne did send out uh, something I've got. I had the app open before. Uh, the Melbourne app. Just let me check if it was on. If he's on there, he's not on the Melbourne injury list either. Oh, there you go. Well, maybe he's whatever. Well, I can't remember what he did to himself out of the St Kilda game, but he might be a chance to come back as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely definitely Hoare and May. If May's fit, I know they were they in their injury rare update. They said he was going to be tested, but they were saying it was a. They were pretty confident that he was going to play. So maybe throw in Smith as well. Now, Collingwood supporters are banging on that they've got injuries galore and looking at their injury list, they do. Uh, are we a chance to, to win this week? No. <laughs> in a word, no. Uh, I think we're a chance to escape with our dignity intact. Uh, I'm pretty confident that we'll do that. But I'm, you know, stranger things have happened. But... Oh, I just can't see it happening. I know they've been in, in poor form and then they just you know, thwacked the Gold Coast last week because that's what teams do, except for us. <laughs> except for us. Except for us. Uh, but at the same time, I, can't, I just can't see, I can't see us being able to, to impact that game. We'll probably give it another good three, swing three for a couple of quarters, yeah. but I think over four quarters, they'll just uh, they'll run away from us. And that's been the story of the whole year. Um, exactly. It would have been really nice if they were sort of uh, fringe, uh, you know, sort of just hanging on to the eight and we could have you know, season, we no. could have done a round 23 2017 on them. <laughs> that would yeah. have been uh, really nice, but that doesn't look like that's going to be even if we do have a victory no. this week. Um, no, we'll just have to strike a psychological blow. Yeah, I'm not sure who they've got in the next few rounds. Uh, they've got us, then um, I'm hoping they've got some hard games, so maybe we do. They've got Adelaide in Adelaide in round 22, and then their final round, they've got Essendon at the G. So maybe a victory this week, and if they can have some upsets, maybe they will. Uh, yeah, well, that's all that's and then we can all we've got going for us now. We then can we, can stuff maybe... up, we can stuff up Collingwood's position in the top four. We can... I don't know, try and break the record for the lowest ratings for a Friday night game, and then we can finally try and win one in Hobart. Yeah, we said last week that the, these three games uh, that we've got, the club's probably pulling their hair out. Um, the, the crowd, um, uh, was, it, was it Caroline Wilson who also had a goal at us for the crowd? Yeah, just, just in the general spray where apparently we're irrelevant because you know how many other 17th place teams have been relevant with three games to go? But what about uh, Richmond supporters not uh, coming out for a, a top four team? Yeah. I think that you'd. F- I feel bad for the person who did the budgeting before the start of the year because not only 
So they got back-to-back home games against Richmond and Collingwood, which should have been at least 50,000 50, each, if not 60,000. more if know, we were a, in contention. Yeah, more between yeah. them. And then you get the, the season's dead. It's going to rain. The car parks are closed. <laughs> yeah. Half the train lines have been replaced with with buses, <laughs> and they'd just be pouring their hair, pulling their hair out about um, you know the the loss. Not the loss. We would have still made money, but we wouldn't have made as money as much money as we would have expected to. Uh, and I think a lot of Richmond fans probably saw the conditions and the the car parking and all that, and just went, "Yeah, we're going to win. We might just watch this at home." Uh, retro round this week. Were you happy when the uh, Melbourne social media team uh, changed their logo to the old uh, 80s logo? Oh, absolutely. I hope we wear the retro disco jumper this week, even though it's our home game. I know that'll set people off. There'll be violence. Well, let's talk. Yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, uh, the. So it's not. I don't think it's a clash strip anymore. The the, the retro. I think it's in a way. It should be classified as an away Guernsey because yep. we're playing Collingwood this week. Early on in the year, we were forced to wear, well, forced or whether that's just our away uh, jumper, we were forced to wear that against Collingwood when there is no clash. No. Can you see, a, is there a clash between Melbourne no. and Collingwood? No. We were forced to wear that or chose to wear that. This week, we're going to, well, unless unless your conspiracy theory is correct, <laughs> we should be wearing the uh, normal uh, red and blue, yep. uh, the regular. They're not going to have a clash strip against us, so they're going to no. wear an all-white jumper. So where's the no, clash? So it, they want. I think it is officially an away Guernsey rather than a clash strip because even against Brisbane, which I don't think there's a clash, to, actually mm. us wearing the light blue against them, <laughs> it makes them more of a clash with their maroon uh, as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's safe to say that Good, it's... Good, there should be more of it. Yeah, I know, you, I know you're a big fan. Yeah, I actually like I think it's one of our better away clash Guernseys. It's the best clash jumper we've ever had, but that's not saying much because we've had some absolute shockers. So they've um, uh, the Melbourne social media team have been putting out some videos, some top five videos. Um, they had Harmsy giving his top five retro stuff the other day, and I'm not sure if you got to see the um, uh, Nathan Jones uh, top five that was released this afternoon. No, I've only seen the Harms one. Oh, you got you got to see it. Uh, anyone who wants some free um, softcore porn. <laughs> I don't think they realise this, but one of um, one of Jonesy's uh, favourite moments was the streaker uh, in the Carlton Grand Final. I, th- I think it was eighty. Which one was it? was it eighty seven or was it earlier? No, it was, it was I think it was eighty two or something. I think with the opposition. Yeah, yeah. So it was eighty. I think eighty two when uh, uh, Wayne Johnson, you know, pulls her off the ground. But uh, they actually showed some uh, some. Side boob and a bush <laughs> in the um, in this video that they've released on social media, and I'm right. not sure that was vetted by anyone uh, because. And obviously, um, Nathan Jones's uh, top moments don't have to have actually occurred while he was alive. He actually said that he he <laughs> said I'm I I'm, I'm not sure uh, I was even born for this one, but I've seen it in uh, highlights packages. Yeah, but where else are you going to get some uh, you know free nudity? So. Yeah, so anyone who's interested in free nudity, <laughs> go to uh, the I'll Melbourne social media too. <laughs> immediately after the conclusion of the Demon Land podcast. So uh, there you go. Um, yeah, uh, retro round uh, should have well, more, more of yeah. it. If you were doing a top five, and I won't put you on the spot entirely now, but 
in your let's just confine it to your supporting years. Yeah. What would some of the highlights of the five be? Well, uh, definitely uh, mine, Djakovic against North Melbourne, particularly yep. the the scissor kick. That's that's a favourite of mine. Um, I well, f- the I'll put this all into one. Uh, for me, it was that whole eighty-seven getting into the because I was at the Western Bull the Western Bull the Footscray <laughs> if yeah. we're going retro round the Footscray game um and then the whole finals and even us losing that uh, preliminary final just being swept up in all that um and that really got me into footy as hardcore as I am today uh, because of all that so that's got to be up there um uh, I liked Harmsies I remember the that um the Jeff White uh, kicking that goal because there's not yep. many games where we sort of win it by almost the last kick of the, the game. Yeah. And I had to listen to that on the radio. And can I just say how, what a traumatic experience <laughs> that was listening to that on the radio. Um, hmm. I'll even, even last year, I went over to Perth for both both games. Um, but the first week, uh, that was a fantastic experience, sitting uh, with feral West Coast Eagles supporters and winning the game over there and making the final. That, you know, to me, that was an absolute highlight, particularly because of where, where I was. Yeah, absolutely. No, a, that would be. That's It's those... Away games where we pull off the the great wins. I was there when we beat Sydney in 06 when we were 0-3. And and Jared Rivers got the worst 50-metre penalty of all time against him. (laughs) And I thought we were going to lose because of that. And I think it was Uze. It was either Uze or Travis Johnston kicked a goal with barely any time left for us to win. And that was a great experience. I'm not sure to qualify for the top five, but uh, maybe the top 50. So what are some of yours? Uh, well, I'd have to go with the 89 elimination final because that was the first game I ever went to. Um, so that's that's what kicked off this lifestyle of misery. Uh, definitely the Djakovic, North Melbourne. I was there. I was there that day. Uh, the 98 finals. I'm gonna I'm gonna do your same thing and roll a whole group of things into one. Roll the 98 finals into one, and the 2000 finals, yeah. but specifically the Carlton one. Yes, that and and it, even the prelim. Uh, I think even at half time, I sort of I, th- I, I I sort of knew we were going to win, so I was like on a high. So yeah, yeah. And after that, look, you know, there's 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 the dots of like amazing memories, like the Fremantle comeback. But it's yeah. it's hold on, we were fifty points in the <laughs> hole, yeah. and it was a season where we won the spoon. So mm. not sure it would crack the top five. I'd almost have to have either the West Coast first game last year uh, or either of the two finals, probably the second one, probably the G-God boy wow uh, moment when when Melksham kicked that goal uh, and we steadied the ship against Hawthorne. That was probably the pinnacle of my supporting existence of uh, since the year 2000. So definitely those ones, like I'd have to spread them out, spread them out like that. So there'd be a, a fair gap. Uh, the mid-90s probably didn't offer too much. I... I wasn't there when Gary Lyon kicked 10 in the finals. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah and then the uh, until 98, obviously that was a couple of great finals there and getting into the prelims. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of turn-of-the-century stuff, unfortunately, mm. which is an exceedingly long time ago now. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, well, uh, I mentioned the West Coast game being on it, but I'll also include that, the whole lead-up to that finals and, and those two vinyls all wrapped yeah. into one. Um, followers of the podcast uh, might remember I had a bet with my... Um, with my brother-in-law and his sons, so my nephews, uh, who are big Geelong supporters. And last year I had the, um, uh, we had a bet of who would finish higher and we just finished higher than them, uh, based on our last win against GWS. So it was great not only having them have to wear at a, at a big family dinner or wear Melbourne jumpers, um, but the, that was straight after we had knocked them out of the finals as well. So that was the, the icing on the cake to that. Now, um, you people remember me telling that story. So this year we had the same bet. Um, after the Well, <laughs> obviously I was in a lot of trouble from very early on <laughs> in the year. So I uh, just after the bye, I conceded. Uh, we had a big family dinner together one night and I surprised them and I had bought a Geelong jumper um, and I wore it for it. So I, I did concede and uh, they got their comeuppance against me and hopefully we can get it back on them one day. But since I've purchased that jumper, they've lost four games. Ah, so how about that luck? And they wanted me to burn the jumper. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> until they're safely out of the finals and then I'll I'll hand it back to them. They can do whatever they want with it. <laughs> did, did you try and take some of the curse off it by pretending you were one of the classic Geelong to Melbourne crossover players? Uh, like, did you just come about? out thinking, did you just walk out of the room thinking, I am Sam Blees, I am Sam Blees, well, I am who from are, Gergich? Who was the other guy, the guy we got from them that uh, in the money ball... Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, uh, Shannon Burns? Or... No, not Burns. Uh, Gillies, was he? Oh, or... Gillies, yeah. That, yeah. that didn't end well. No, I don't think it started at all. <laughs> no, I think he's got like one of the, the probably the worst career records in Melbourne history, considering he played in one game where we lost by 80 and one game we lost by 150. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and that was it. So he's got a 115-point average losing margin across his two games. Yeah, there hasn't been, apart from Maloney, yeah, oh, I'm yeah, struggling Maloney. to think of a successful Carlton uh, Geelong Melbourne crossover uh, any time in recent history. I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to go to the Oracle <laughs> of all things, DemonWiki.org. Oh, well, while you're talking about DemonWiki, was there? I saw a post of yours, um, or was it your post, or was it the DemonWiki uh, Twitter account uh, that mentioned? that the club was getting calls when the site was down? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> okay, so what yeah, happened there? I got there, an email it? from them saying, yeah, we've got all these uh, inquiries. Can you tell us when it's going to come up again? So really? I was, <laughs> I was very happy about that. <laughs> uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking at this list. It's Clint Bizzle, of course. Yeah, Bizzle and Maloney. Apart from that, we, oh, yeah, we gave Bizzle, them yeah. Jacko. Well, eventually, oh, yes. I think he went for us and killed her. But yeah. he's probably the only other successful one and even then I think they sacked him after about 10 weeks so it's not a great crossover between Geelong and Melbourne in the history of history of footy well I'm just happy that uh, my cursed um, cursed supporting days has crossed over to another jumper and yep. I was hoping Fix them up. the curse would would leave the Melbourne uh, part of me and go on to Geelong but it's just joined and merged them together because yeah, it's certainly... like a super bug yeah so, um, yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, what are you going to do next year? Are you going to put it on the line again, or uh, are you going to take you going to demand odds? I wanted to. Well, this year I thought I was a shoe in. They they actually didn't want to like his sons, my father, my father, my brother-in-law's sons, my nephews didn't want to do the bet. They they almost conceded before there was a bet that we would uh, just roll them this year. Um, and I probably should have <laughs> allowed That's them not to take the bet because I was not we're doing the bet again. Yeah, next mm. year you should ask for a five-game start. Yeah, we. <laughs> I don't know if that'll help us, but uh, yeah, they'll they'll probably It'll at least make it interesting. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I don't think they'll be as lenient on me. <laughs> um, anything else uh, you want to bring up before we wrap, no, wrap I'll, things I'll up? I'll be yeah. there on Saturday for my sins, so that'll be my my last game for the year because I'll I won't be at the Sydney game, much like. Pretty much every other Melbourne fan. I, I actually can't. I can't go to that the Sydney <laughs> oh, game. No, I'm telling you, this yeah. is going to be this is Frio Melbourne '99 <laughs> all over again. It's going to be 18,000 people there, and no one will be watching on television. Yeah, I can't go. We've got uh, we've got a family function on on that Friday night, and uh, I, I, can, I can't obviously can't get out of it. And uh, it was really bad planning on on the part of the family, considering that most of the people there are um, <laughs> Melbourne supporters. Yeah, but. You know. Don't you want? Don't you want an excuse to get away? I, I'll still have to watch it. I just can't be there in person. Yeah. So well, I'm not yeah, going to so be. Anyway, I'm going to have to watch it. Go this delay. week and have a look. And at least Mason Cox isn't going to kick nine against us. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Ken King. He should have just played anyway with one eye. He still would have probably kicked five. <laughs> probably. Would have been the greatest like triumph of the human spirit in the in the footy since Jason McCartney came back. Mason Cox kicked six against Melbourne with one eye and an eye patch on like well, a pirate. Has anyone ever played with an eye patch? That's an interesting one. There must be That's someone. Just, that'd be good. A few people played with glasses back in the day, but well, Robbie, sure uh, our point. own Robbie Flower, who celebrated well, celebrated birthday, but was his birthday um, during the week. Um, he played with glasses. Yeah, he started. Yeah, I think an Essendon bloke kicked a hundred goals wearing glasses, which you would have thought back in the day he would have been getting the bejesus punched out of him by defenders uh, if he was someone who could kick a hundred goals in the sixties. Well, or the early seventies, whenever it was. So maybe that's what we should we should have a go at. Well, maybe that's what specs on. Maybe uh, some glasses is exactly what we need to um, to kick some ac- to, to get exactly. some accuracy back into our kicking. I can't remember what coach it was. I think it was, might have been the Carl Dietrich when he took over, and they actually sent all the players to have their eyes tested <laughs> just to like see if anybody had vision issues. So <laughs> let's let's do that again. Let's get a sponsorship through Specsavers. Well, um, well, that's my favourite thing about the umpires, that they are sponsored by OPSM, I believe. Yep. <laughs> that's just, br- just playing up to the stereo. Brilliant sponsorship. Whoever came up with that one, uh, I love it. I love it. Um, all right, so I think, uh, I think that's where we'll uh, end it uh, for tonight. Hopefully... Well, I think most of us just want this year to, to end. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to trade week and that circus um, when we'll probably feature quite heavily. Yeah. Uh, and then That'll kick off about 20 minutes after the final. Sorry, it's the already, grand final. It's so already can... started. So <laughs> <laughs> get on to uh, demonland.com to, uh, to check out the... Uh, well, it's almost time to start the tr- the trading threads, but um, well, they've almost started, started on their yeah, own. Yeah, they have. Uh, the main board is just names of players in threads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that it is. All right, uh, we'll uh, we'll be back next week. I'm not sure if you're going to be back. I don't know what your availability is. You are most welcome 
uh, to join uh, Grape Viney when he returns and us, uh, depending on your availability. But we'll chat during the week about that. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me this week. All right. Not a problem. All right. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. And uh, yes, go D's.